0: Hello, and welcome to Meditations from Middle Earth. My name is Strider, and I'm a Christian worker here in where I call Middle Earth. We love to meditate on God's Word, and He's given us so many unique and rich experiences here in Middle Earth, and I'd like to share those insights with you here on Meditations from Middle Earth. As we begin, I would like for us to consider the purpose for what we're trying to accomplish here. What are the purposes of the disciplines? We've been talking about um, contemplative prayer, and we've been talking about the kind of disciplines it would take for us to get to contemplative prayer. Uh, How can I quiet my mind and sit in the presence of God? And as we think about that, we've been talking about the different disciplines like meditation and reading of the scripture in our lexio. We've been talking about prayer, and we will talk about other spiritual disciplines as well, fasting and study and simplicity and solitude and silence, and we'll we'll continue to talk about worship. These things we will get to, but the question that I want to To answer right now is why why do we want to get to these things what how is it going to help us what is the problem that we're trying to solve and that's really the issue i think uh, if we can uh, if we can identify the question then uh, then the answer is going to be more valued right Um, if somebody comes along and gives you this amazing answer but it's to a question you've not asked um, you're not going to value that. In fact, you're going to wonder why they're talking. And, uh, and so often, I think, spiritual discussions uh, head in this direction where, where we're asking questions that aren't really deep in our heart and we're hearing answers that don't touch us where we live. And this is, this is a big problem. And, and you know, as, as we look back over church history and we see that, you know, the early church – Paul is writing letters to the early Christians, answering some of the questions, addressing some of the problems that they had. As you um, go back even further, the prophets aren't just popping up out of nowhere. God is sending them, and they have a message that he's given them to answer a situation that they're in at that point. And now we take that information and we think, well, cool that Isaiah answered a question uh, 800 years before Christ, um, but what's my question? And where am I going to get the answer? And so let's look at what, what is your question? What is my question? What are we really trying to get to? And I, I, would, I would say that what we're trying to get to is to where God wants us to be. But deep down, we wanna be where God wants us to be. And this, to me, addresses the fundamental problem, the thing that I can't let go of, and that is that you and I are not what we believe we're supposed to be. I'm somehow supposed to be better than I am. I'm disappointed in myself, almost continually. And you're not what you're supposed to be. You're angry when you should be patient. And you're selfish when you should be giving. And you're loveless when you should be loving. And I am all those things as well. And why? And why do we think that's not okay? Why isn't that just okay? If that's just the way we are, we were just born this way, then why Why? Why not just stay there? Why don't you just celebrate it? Well, I'm selfish and I'm a jerk sometimes and you should just love me anyway. And you know what? Maybe I should just love you anyway. And we'll just accept each other for who we are. But somehow that message, that answer to the problem is not satisfactory. Yes, I hope that you do forgive me and love me for who I am. And I will, to the best of my ability, love you for who you are. But I want both of us to become more than what we are today. Is it possible? And I believe it is. I believe this is the, the reason for the disciplines. It's the reason for uh, the coming of Christ and the showing us of a different way as, as, we, as we look back in, in Christian history and, and in human history and we go all the way back to the garden and we have that really interesting phrase in the beginning where we were created in the image of God. And some people have a real problem with that, right? I mean... They're like, no, you can't say we're created in the image of God because God, if there's a God at all, he doesn't have like a body like we have. That's making God in our image. And that's what the Greeks did with Greek mythology. And that's what people through the centuries have done. They've taken their own prejudices, their own pride, their own arrogance, and their own self-interest, and they've said, this is what God's like. And coincidentally, God supports All the positions that they're taken and and supports their way of life and supports their power and their prestige. And God is dead set against their enemies and wants to condemn them continually. And they've taken God and made him in their own image. And that's not what we mean when we talk about that we're made in the image of God. So what is it that, that we mean? Well, I think that we have to say that... Um, it's not entirely clear. It's not entirely spelled out there in those first verses in Genesis. But what it seems to indicate, as we look at the outcome, you know, there's Adam and Eve created. They're in a garden and they're given freedom. They can eat of any of the trees and 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 all of the fruit except for the one. And they can and and they can um, move within with faith in in a relationship with god where they love and respect him and he loves and respects them and so now there's there's something to their relationship with god you know the the larger and more intelligent creature can relate to the smaller a man can look at a dog and understand him and figure out his motivations, know what he wants. A dog cannot then turn around and look at a mouse and know what he wants. You know, Something about us is different from the other animals. And, and that something that's different is a relationship with God. He's created us to interface with him so that we, we can speak to him and he can speak to us. And then of course, all of that got broken. And that hope was lost. This hope that we had for a glorious future was, was taken away. And, and in that loss, in that brokenness, we know we're not what we're supposed to be. We were created for something more than we are. We should have more than we have. And not just in terms of material possessions, but in terms of, of capability and relationships and love and respect. And so as we've lost these things, how do we get them back? And the answer, as Jesus comes and, and shows us, and, and the Bible talks about Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And some people use that uh, to beat up their enemies with, once again saying, look, God's on our side. He loves us. He doesn't love you. He's the way that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I have Jesus and you don't, so I'm better than you. These, of course, is not what that verse means in any way. What it means is that as Jesus is the way, it means he came to live a life and show us how we should live life. And as he came, he he served others, he loved others, he taught, and he demonstrated compassion and forgiveness. And this then leads to truth. And the truth is that God is love and in him is there's no darkness at all. He's light and life, and this leads to, of course, life. Remember, the original, the original statement in the garden was that if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it leads to death. And it has, because it's without love. And without love, there's no life. And we're going to look at that today as we look to today's meditation And so I commend to you the practices of these disciplines because they recreate in us the image of Christ. They recreate us into the image of God. And our meditation today is going to demonstrate that, at least to a small extent. And so as we go to our Lexia Divina today, let's look at uh, Matthew And Chapter 5, and let's just read that here. Starting in verse 3, Jesus is teaching. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive Mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And let's say I'm reading that in the morning, and God just highlights that for me in my mind, in my imagination. And I think, wow, he's saying something to me there. And So we'll stop and meditate on that. Blessed are the peacemakers. So what are peacemakers? People who make peace, I guess, if we're going to use the word in the definition, but that doesn't sound very helpful. How do we make peace? Who are those? What? I guess a couple of questions come to mind. One, what, what peace are we talking about? And two, how do you make it? How can you f- force it to happen somehow? So how are we to be peacemakers? Well, As I meditate on that, I think, first of all, just how little of this world is at peace. I feel like as I sit here in the middle of a city and I'm surrounded by families who, um, you know, there's husbands and wives that should be loving one another, there are parents and children that should be uh, caring for one another and loving and respecting one another, and it's not happening. There's neighbors who are hurting so much and their fellow neighbor is just getting up in the morning and trying to hurt that person all the more. And as we look at the conflict that goes on around the world, we see that on the macro level, this is happening between countries and on the micro level, it's, hand, it's, it's happening right between brother and sister, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, grandparents, families, neighbors, neighborhoods, it just goes and goes and goes of the broken relationships. You know, as we've come here to Middle Earth, we do humanitarian aid work, and as we go into communities and we try to help them, we, we see that they're poor, and they're poor in specific ways. And we can see that the ways that they're poor is the ways that we need to help them. But one of the early on, uh, I read a book on what walk, called "Walking with the Poor," and in the opening introduction, it says, "People aren't poor because they don't have money. People are poor because their relationships are broken, and their relationships are broken because their relationship with God is broken." We don't relate to God. We don't hear His voice. We don't love and respect Him. And as a result, we don't hear each other and we don't love and respect each other. And because of that, we can't work together. And if we can't work together, we remain poor. What a powerful idea that was to me early on in my work here and how I have tried to address this going forward. Our teaching others to work together is the most important work that we do because it leads to the most important work that there is, restoring people's relationships. And I guess this is where being a peacemaker comes in. Because if you look at what I've already described as the original problem, the original problem of our broken relationship with God, because we disobeyed. In the garden, and we ate the tree, uh, the the fruit of the tree that we shouldn't have eaten, and 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 people think, as they read that story, they think, boy, that's really petty," you know. Why is God so angry about just eating from the wrong darn tree? I mean, why is that a big deal? And it's a big deal because it's not about uh, you ate an apple instead of a pear, you know. It's about that. You are now following in a way of life that leads you to the knowledge of good and evil. The knowledge of good and evil means that you know what is good and you know what is evil and you've judged your neighbor and you've judged God and you've judged them unworthy. Unworthy of love, unworthy of respect. You look over at your neighbor, you see the things that he's doing wrong. You look at your husband, your wife, your children. You see that they're messing up. They're not doing the things they're supposed to do. And you've condemned them. And you say, that's it. I'm not in a relationship with you. Our relationship is damaged because you're wrong. And the problem here is so thorny, so naughty, so difficult because you're right. They are that broken. They did make those mistakes. And they do deserve judgment. Unfortunately, as Gandhi once said, an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind, and so just because you're right in your judgment doesn't mean that that's the best way forward. Is to just judge them and leave them judged. I think about Jesus and how he's in the temple in John chapter eight, and how uh, the religious leaders of the day bring the woman who they caught in adultery to him and demand that you know that he he. Keep the law and stone this woman to death. And, and he very wisely uh, looked with compassion on this woman. And then he gave his, his bold proclamation of let he who has no sin cast the first stone. And slowly they all left. And he says to the woman at the end, is there nobody here to condemn you? And she says, no. And he says, then neither do I. And that's such a powerful moment. Because, as we know from scriptures, Jesus was actually without sin. He could have thrown a stone at her, he chose not to. Now, what's the result of this? The result is that woman was set free. There was freedom that day, she was able to go back to her community. Jesus, in that instance, was a peacemaker. Is a, such a powerful way that that happened because if she had just gone back to her community uh, without that event happening, she would have been known as a sinful woman. She would have been ostracized by her community. She would have been probably kicked out of her family. She would have been alone with nothing but just surrounded by broken relationships. But as Jesus forgives her and says, I don't condemn you, And everybody there tossed their rock to the ground and walked away. Also choosing not to condemn her. And now as she goes back to her community and somebody comes up on the street next day and says, Oh, aren't you that woman? And she says, Yeah, I noticed you didn't throw a rock either. They can't condemn her because they've already condemned themselves. It's a beautiful story of redemption and peacemaking. So on the one hand, this woman's restored to her community. On the other hand, what does it mean for Jesus and the society that he's in? He's loudly condemned, and we're going to get to that in the next verse, in the next couple of verses. Not everybody is rejoicing in this lack of condemnation. In our society today, uh, too often you're not my friend unless you hate The people that I hate with the words that I hate them with. And I hate that attitude. It's not a peacemaking attitude. Here this verse says, blessed are the peacemakers. The people who restore relationships, who make peace, the brokenness that's between us is bridged by a bridge of love and forgiveness. We must bridge the love and forgiveness between the two of us, between me and you, between neighbor to neighbor, from father to son, husband to wife, mankind to God. And in order to do this, we have to push past the knowledge of good and evil that lets us rightly condemn one another. And even as Jesus did say, well, I don't condemn you either he chose not to condemn. Eventually, he would die on a cross. And this was a demonstration to all that, guys, if you have a problem, I've taken it on. If you needed somebody to pay for all of this wrong, I've taken it on. I've paid the price. Now you don't have to. And you don't have to hold your neighbor to it. And you don't have to hold your wife or your husband to it. You don't have to hold your children to it. You are free to love one another again. And that's a powerful idea. And it's one that we've not yet grasped. Neither religious people nor non-religious people have really grasped this concept that we can actually just choose to love and forgive each other even as jesus has done for us and remember he's the way and this is the way for us to walk it and if we will walk in the way then what's the promise the promise is that we will be children of god i i would like for us to pray this through and then to to sit in the presence of god who has already done this for us, who have already weighed us, judged us, found us completely wanting and said, you know what? I want to be in a relationship with you anyway. I want to sit with you anyway. And if you have a problem with that, you put it on the cross of Jesus Christ and you let that problem die there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help me today. To forgive myself for the stupid things, the selfish things, the wicked things I have done, and all the ways that I've hurt others and failed to love and care for others. Heavenly Father, help me in my community, in the people you've called me to love, that we may all love each other better, and that in that love for each other, we'll find freedom to love you more and more and as we understand you then we will truly become your children and that we'll be a family that's at peace let's say the words of our meditation here listen says jesus in revelation 3 listen i am standing at the door knocking if you hear my voice and open the door i will come in to you and eat with you And you with me. (smack) Open the door. Let's slowly say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who are in heaven, holy is your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory now and forever. Amen. This has been Meditations from Middle Earth. May God be your ever-present teacher and richly bless you on your journey.